H910 AM interview of the week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network in North Texas. I'm Dave Palmer, host of this program. Got an interesting situation here because uh, a few months ago, a couple months ago, uh, I had a, a really fascinating gentleman in studio with me who is a member of the same parish as I am, uh, St. Mary the Virgin in Arlington. His name is Marcus Bell. Uh, he, he and his wife, Melissa, have uh, three young boys, uh, ranging from six to two and one in the womb. Not sure of the sex yet. I don't think of that one. And uh, we started talking about his really fascinating journey into the Catholic Church. He was uh, actually uh, brought into the Catholic Church officially in uh, Easter of 2022, so very recently. And at the end of the interview, we hadn't really told much of the story of his becoming Catholic because it was so interesting that I <laughs> ran out of time. So I asked Marcus if he would come back and tell, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. And that's what we're going to do here. So, Marcus, awesome. thanks for coming back. Dave, thank you for having me. Appreciate All right. It. So uh, just some of the, the main points. I mentioned become ca- you and Melissa and I presume the boys sure. became Catholic uh, 2022 Easter uh, you were ordained a Anglican deacon That's correct. in 2017, and you left your Anglican church and position in 2020. So right. uh, take me from childhood to 2017 okay. in uh, two minutes. All right, 60 seconds. <laughs> yep, I was raised a Christian, good Christian home, uh, went to church, prayed, prayed, at, the, prayed at home, uh, watched the, the Christian stories and read the Bible, and family still loves the Lord today, all my siblings, and Became a charismatic in high school, had some some experiences with the Lord and His grace and mercy uh, after my kind of teenage rebellion, and and then fast forward, I got married at a at a very very young age, and my wife and I worked together for a missions organization that would kind of be in that charismatic stream as well, not Pentecostal, mm-hmm. kind of charismatic, and uh, in that realm, uh, we started experiencing questions about theology and doctrine and. That got us interested in theology and doctrine, church teaching, and it wasn't until church history that I uh, got hooked, that I realized that I belong to a faith that has its roots in reality, which I already knew because I believed in the incarnation, I believed in Jesus Christ, I believed in the Trinity, but the ramifications of that, that I belong to a family that is a church, that is a body, the body of Christ, I belong to that, and the history of that family bears upon me in my day now. Hmm. So then the question is, how do I live? And I had a friend invite uh, my wife and I to an Anglican liturgy. We were already looking into Lutheranism because, uh, I mean, every Protestant at least knows Luther, even mm-hmm. if you don't know why you're a Protestant, which would be my position at the time. And we uh, had some friends that became Orthodox, but that was so kind of outside of our realm at the yeah. time. That, but Catholicism never came up because yeah. it was just not an option. But my friend took us to an Anglican liturgy, and um, that was it. I was yeah. hooked, and I read, I devoured church history. I devoured, started reading the church fathers, because Anglicans are really into the church fathers. And so started reading the Anglican divines, what we call kind of the theologians around the time of the Reformation. And I was hooked. It was, it was a language that I never heard about, and it was, it was an identity which sought to ground itself in that historic faith. When you say that the Anglicans are really into the church fathers, do you mean early church fathers, the Augustans and the Athanasiuses? And, yeah. But they're all Catholic, right? Do they acknowledge that? They, that they, they were Catholic? They acknowledge that, but they also think that they are Catholic. Anglicans yeah. view themselves as, as Catholic. They, their ecclesiology, that is the way that the, 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 the nature of the church sees that people with bishops, under bishops, are Catholic, mm-hmm. or if you have the Catholic faith. So, yes, 
they would acknowledge that the church fathers were Catholic as they would acknowledge that they themselves, Anglicans, they would believe that they too are Catholic. Uh, but the, the Anglican way of looking at the Catholic nature of the church is more of the Eastern Orthodox way, yeah. the, the conciliar church. And so that's how they, un, that's how they see the break with Rome at the time of the Reformation as being allowable because yeah. they thought they were going back to a more pure ordering of the church uh, along with a doctrinal reordering, but that they also thought that they could just keep their bishops and that that would uh, uh, keep them Catholic. So, so a high Anglican, if he, if he decided one Sunday, couldn't find an Anglican church, but, you know, St. Maria Gretti is here and I go to the Catholic church, would he feel justified in receiving communion because they're all in the same communion? Or he would, would he say, this is something different, I need to, you know? He would, I would say the majority of all Anglicans today would say yes, but most of them would also be respect that they can't. Okay. They would just say that it's silly that we can't. Okay. But they, but they would respect. But they the wouldn't rule. be like yeah. a. They wouldn't be like a Christian denomination which see, sees Catholic Church, the Catholic Church, and uh, Catholic brothers and sisters as outside of the faith. Therefore, yeah. that they must keep away from them. They would just think that there are to be a good, uh, to be uh, good ecumenically. We can't go in and lie that we're not Catholic, mm-hmm. which yeah. is good. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, really that, that's, yeah. yeah. That's honorable and that on, is, on their yeah. part. So around 2020, you oh in end 2020, you mm-hmm. leave your position, That's which right. had to be a big decision because you're. Um, I guess you had decided against seminary, um, mm-hmm. but you're you're a deacon, and that's this right. is like almost like like uh, your your vocation. That's right, I, and that's a huge decision. So why did you make that? Well, it it was a huge decision. I was a deacon and a full time youth minister. My only job was at a church, which was my dream for three years, and it was a wonderful job, wonderful time, wonderful family, good. Uh, ministers to work with in the Anglican Church. Uh, so yeah, it was ordained in 2017 and held that job to 2020. And somewhere in between there, I I stopped doing my seminary. I had, was struggling with depression in part at the time I knew it, and I know it even more now that it was struggling with this internal struggle of there's this pull in my heart right now to become Catholic because that's what I already thought I was. But I'm seeing holes in that now that that though Anglicans claim to be Catholic, that by what I'm persuaded by, that doesn't meet the measure. So I stopped my seminary, and I was ordained before finishing seminary because there was a succession of deaths in our uh, in the church and in the diocese I worked in. So it was one of those things of everybody got moved up mm-hmm. uh, a couple of years in advance. Yeah, and so yeah. Um, I saw that as both providential and frightening because I wasn't quite done right. discerning. So you, you, you mentioned that back in your discernment when you enter into the Anglican Church, the Catholic Church wasn't even on the radar. That's right. Now all of a sudden you're thinking that's the Catholic right. Church. That's right. And I know, and I don't want to, we focused a lot in a previous interview about Catholic Radio, but were there other influences uh, oh, that sure. were telling you, know, what, yeah. what, what, how, so, how were you learning about so the Catholic other than, faith? Other than popular things like Catholic Radio, Catholic TV, Catholic YouTube podcasts, which there's so many of, it's yeah. insane. Um, there, there's so many of them. Outside of that, it was really being in seminary because all of the sudden I am studying and reading things beyond just the church fathers, which is compelling enough to become Catholic, really is. Um, but I'm studying not only Anglican reformers and, and some continental reformers, meaning German reformers, Swiss, French, those sorts of things, but I was also studying uh, Catholic teaching as well because Anglicans have this weird thing of you, you, you eat the meat and you spit out the bones, right? <laughs> and there, therefore, nothing is off limits, kind of like yeah, what you said. Yeah. Um, we, don't, we don't freeze up and we think about approaching Catholic stuff. 
Catholic yeah. teaching, Catholic uh, tradition. And so I was reading it, and my whole problem was, well, where is the line here? Where, where is objectively the line where I say, well, this is meat, this is bones. I should consume this, take it into myself, you know, so to speak, and uh, spit out what I don't believe. My question is, I was finding that it was just all meat. Mm-hmm. It was just all stuff that was uh, nurturing me and uh, nourishing me and, and helping me to grow. And I didn't have a, the only governor I had, you know, to, to keep me from going, you know, 100 miles an hour uh, in that direction was I was also learning the, or I had already basically agreed to uphold the conclusions that the Anglican position towards Catholicism was correct and the Catholic position against the Anglican position is incorrect. And uh, that was not something that was compelling to me. It seemed like a, it seemed too subjective. It mm-hmm. didn't seem, I didn't seem like an object that could exist against the, uh, the stuff I was reading, the stuff I was listening to, stuff I was hearing. So it was really my learning about Anglicanism alongside greater church history that really called into question the claims. And I would say that in those, those period, that period from 2017 to 2020, and then 2020 to 2022, which are kind of two seasons for me and my wife, uh, I would say that uh, we had the problem of going, well, we don't really have to disagree with much of what we've already learned. It's more about ba- drawing a different conclusion. Because mm-hmm. like I said, you're not going to find any Anglicans today really that sit there and make up stuff about Catholics. They don't view Catholics in any kind of negative way. Mm-hmm. It's really just going, well, here's the evidence, whether it be doctrine, theology, history. What conclusion do you draw from it? Yeah. Right? And that, that in and of itself is its own process. It's not just subjective. You know, it's not just how you feel. But, but for me, it was, it was very much, there's not a whole lot here that it has to change. It's just simply the conclusions. Here's the evidence before me. What is the most compelling bit? What is the most compelling conclusion to draw from the evidence? And were you and Melissa kind of journeying side by side, or was one of y'all a little bit ahead of the other? Uh, I would say I was ahead, but just so yeah. much that I was in deeper. Yeah. And it was my job. as what I was training for. Her whole thing was she trusted me. She saw both sides, didn't really see the, the need or the, have the compulsion to draw those conclusions. But as I was studying, learning, experiencing, and participating in the life of uh, Christian ministry in the Anglican tradition— I was realizing, well, you have to draw a conclusion. Mm-hmm. And if I draw the wrong, if I draw a conclusion that Catholicism is true by what I've seen and experienced and read and learned, uh, but I don't act upon that, then I'm in trouble. Yeah. I'm in big trouble. You, you were trying very hard and you were intellectually honest with yourself. Sure. I mean, you didn't want to play any games with yourself because, right. like you say, that. Uh, that causes inner turmoil yeah, and, lots you know, of anxiety. and a lot, a lot of bad, bad mm-hmm. stuff happens when that way. So how was it, uh, that day and I guess 2020 when you had to go and speak to the pastor sure. or make some kind of official yeah. resignation? How did that go? Well, that was probably the worst day of my life. So, uh, so far and, uh, internally at least, I mean, there's been other doozies, but it was, it was emotionally, it was just so, so intense. I, like I said, I was, I was. I read the Catechism in February of 2020, and my whole thing was I'm going to now really discern right now over about the next year year's worth of time to see if I should become Catholic. 
I'm, I'm going to start by you reading the, the Catechism in a month. Oh yeah, oh, the whole thing. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I loved it. I mean, I loved okay. it because it was it was language I was already used to. So there wasn't a whole lot of dense yeah. sledding there. It wasn't it wasn't very it wasn't very difficult. You know, it was it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. It was charismatic. It was historic. It was contemporary. It was alive. Yeah, the church teaching is alive. And uh, yeah, very and, very and few people read the Catechism like a book. I yeah. mean, you know, they go and they they reference something. No, but I had you to read were reading it. it like I had to read it. Yeah, I was going to yeah. do the whole thing of like, and I had not read Scott Hahn's Rome Sweet Home yet. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I Rome Sweet it. Home. Yeah, I hadn't read the, read that yet because it was one of those things I can't do this to myself. I already read uh, John Henry Newman's Apologia Pro Vita Sue, and that was a, that was made me heart sick enough to become Catholic. Yeah, but I know that he did this too. Right? My thing was I was going to read through the Catechism and and uh, put a check mark to the things I agree with and an X the things I disagreed with, and I had just had to stop because all it was just checks. all agree. It's like well that. I understand. I understand. I understand. <clears throat> so no, no, no roadblocks. The Mary, the saints, the, the not nothing. Uh, Artie did that as an Anglican. Yeah, right. Artie did that as an Anglican to an extent, to an extent. And um, but uh, it would say that the only roadblocks that come with things like the that came with things like the papacy or the saints was more cultural expression. Mm-hmm. You know, as opposed to essential meaning of the teaching. If you look at the teaching on paper, what it means, you go. Oh, Oh, wow. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with this. And then when you might see a video of something or something like that, that might make you feel a little odd. Even John Henry Newman, St. John Henry Cardinal Newman writes this in his Apologia. He basically says, there's some things as an Englishman I'm just not comfortable doing, but it's not because I disagree with it, you know? And so, uh, but so no, no hangups there. And so I, I read the catechism and then COVID happened and I had a no job. I had no job activities. So what I thought was going to happen in a year, I thought, well, I don't have a job really. I wasn't fired, but there was no duties. Yeah. So I came back to my my job, so to speak, even though there were no duties, nothing happening for youth um, that May. I was there for about two weeks, and it was just crushing me. And um, it was interesting too. I'd already packed up our offices because we had moved offices, and so I was unpacking into our new offices. And I'm sitting there going, what am I doing? Why am I unpacking if I know what I'm going to do? Mm-hmm. This, is a, this is a lie playing out at this yeah. point. And so I, I wrote an email so I could send it to all my pastors. And um, I wrote an email because I just knew I needed to write it down to express it. And then my phone blew up after that. I sent that email. And I, I, pressing I sent, that send. Yeah, pressing that tough. send. And I, I wept after I sent it. I wept and... and um, so just to fast forward, I, I met with all my pastors uh, that weekend and, um, and talked. And uh, at this point, it was still just a discernment thing, too, because I'm like, I have to have the ability to, to remove myself from this position so that I might discern. Yeah. But you yeah. also have to be careful, too, because there's a bias there, and an understandable bias, that they're not involved in that discernment. Mm-hmm. As, as I understand there's different takes on this, but they're not involved in that because they already— I, I've been, I've been sit, sitting underneath the, the teaching and the perspective for three, four years at that point. So I needed to un- untie myself from that perspective. Mm-hmm. And so the two years is the, the two years from, from May of 2022, almost two years to Easter of 20, sorry, May of 2020 to the Easter of 2022 was that real discernment period where it's like, I'm not tied to a job that makes me uphold something. I'm just floating. And it was uncomfortable mm-hmm. and it was scary and, uh, do you have any job at all during that time? No, no, okay. no, I, no. And uh, uh, I mean, we have those bo- we have those boys, and so they're in 
uh, preschool and elementary age. Yeah. And so we've already have a conviction to not send them to uh, uh, public school. Yeah. And we we don't really have the means to afford a private school, so we uh, we, we decided to homeschool them. Yeah. So that's actually still our setup right now, which is another another thing about life is that is that uh, that's still how we how we have it set up right now. I'm I'm still teaching them, trying to figure out what I can do on the side to make some money. Yeah. And my wife having another baby on the way. You know, that's yeah. another thing. Yeah, but this is that whole trust thing that comes in. that whole like, trust yeah. thing. And it, so it's still playing out. There's still levels of discomfort. But what I would say happened over those two years was now I had wandered out into the wilderness and I'd taken my family out there. And after about two months, I asked God, what have I done? Mm-hmm. I don't have a job. I'm not making any money. I'm not providing uh I'm also not, it was COVID too. So we would try to visit churches and there'd be mask mandates and, and I'm not going to get into all that. But the point is it just wasn't the best time to be a visitor to a church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, if a church was shut down, well, you can't go. If a church, if no one's saying hi to each other and no one seems nice and they're already in an emotional state, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, it was not a good time. And so uh, we, we, uh, we tried here and there and we, we failed miserably at times and, you know, can tell you that most Sundays were uh, not easy times to be at our to be in our family, mm-hmm. you know. But but Melissa and I, we had grace for one another where we were, and um, by about uh, fall of 2020, I I basically just had to kind of put it, trust the Lord, put it at the foot of the cross, and say, I can't sort this thing out. I know the conclusion, but there's the, my mind has made a conclusion. Now my heart, I need my heart to match it. I need that Mm -hmm. bravery, that courage to act upon it. And I've tried to hoist myself up into that place. You already felt Catholic though? I didn't, I already, I already felt Catholic in the sense of when I would think about becoming Catholic, I was like, yes. And you were going to Catholic churches. We were visiting. You were visiting. We were visiting. I was already, I was already, in my mind, but then there was that sense of, but I'm not Catholic, and I have to act upon it. I actually have to go to RCIA, or I have to at least call a pastor and let them know, hey, yeah. I'm looking to join the church. I can't just because it also going to church and not receiving communion is just when you when you're hung when you hunger for it is yeah. is like going to Thanksgiving and not and you know being <laughs> you know being a vegan or something, but wanting to eat meat, you know, and uh, on, but on steroids, and so we. I had to put it in the hands of the Lord and to trust him that he understood where I was. And uh, I had a good friend who's still an Anglican minister this day told me basically, you have to act upon this. He told me in spring of 2021 that you have to act. You either need to, you either need to backtrack and become Anglican, which he's like, and I don't think that's your answer, or you need to become Catholic because you are, he, this is his advice to me. You have removed your family from the grace of the sacrament. Mm. You know, this is yeah. an Anglican speaking from yeah. this perspective. And a way to translate that is you're kind of cut yourself off. Yeah. You yeah. Cut you're yourself in, you're off. no man's land, right? Yeah. No man's land. And that's where you typically die. If you stop yeah. and fall into a pit in no man's land, any World War One movie you've ever seen, like you're going to get, you're going to, it's going to be harder to get to safety. And so uh, it still took a little longer, but come uh, that fall of 2021 or late summer, Melissa and I started going to St. Mary the Virgins. Seems like a real logical choice. It because does. It's in, it's a, used to be Anglican use. Now That's it's right. the ordinary, no ordinary to church St. Peter. Yeah. It's really designed for people like you. Yeah. I mean, I, I've never been Anglican, but yeah. we just like, like sure. the, 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 the liturgy. Yeah. But yeah, this is, uh, did, did you not know about no, this we, originally? No, we knew about it, but it was one of those things where we, we want to, uh, 
do this based upon conviction, not based upon what we at the time saw as convenience. But about a few months into that, we saw that it wasn't about convenience. It was that the church legitimately saw the heritage of the Anglican, what's called Anglican patrimony, and it blessed it and said, this is of the Catholic faith, mm-hmm. and we're going to make a home for people of that heritage yeah. in the Catholic church, obviously with re- receiving the rest of Catholic teaching. So this is why it'd be different than like, well, will there be a Baptist right one day? It's like, well, no, because mm-hmm. there's so, it's so far removed and um, from the from the tradition of the church. And so, uh, but we we finally kind of gave into that. It was one of those things. Like, well, let's let this be an option, and it did two things. It was both extremely encouraging because we knew the liturgy by heart almost. The only thing different is the actual canon of the mass, the, mm-hmm. the yeah. consecration. Everything else, I mean, the the the, the Elizabethan English or the Cranmerian English, certain parts of the how the liturgy is ordered and certain prayers. One of the prayers is the prayer that, that Cramner himself wrote, and it's just beautiful. Oh, really? It's profound. Yeah, and I will say for people listening right now who have never been to an ordinary at, uh, liturgy, it's as a you know guy who grew up Roman Catholic, Novus Ordo, it's really beautiful. And it's, yeah. it's prayers that are not said. It's all very right. legit, and it's fully 100%. Catholic. But uh, uh, all right, I'm getting the three minutes, and I want to make sure we, we make the best use of this. Sure. So did you go through RCIA? Or? We met with, with uh, the pastor of the church, Father Stainbrook. We met with him. We let him know. We reached out because we didn't know how to do it, and we basically said, we'll go through RCA if if we if we need to, or or, or just we just need to be put on the radar because we kind of yeah. were skirting in the corners of the church, and yeah. <laughs> we also have kids too. So when it's over, you just yeah. got to get out of there and go eat lunch. Yeah. And so, uh, so at mass we weren't really meeting anybody and and lingering. So I got to reach out to Father Stainbrook. I did so, and. Uh, he immediately jumped on it. He met with me. He gave me a he gave me their uh, divine office book, which was great because as a as an Anglican minister, I was used to praying the liturgy daily out of the Anglican what's called the Book of Common Prayer. Yeah. So he gave me that, and we met with him, and we wrote we wrote papers, and we basically did a private track with him where he wanted to interview us, meet with us, meet with our family a few times, write some papers. But it was kind of a yeah fast track. It was a fast uh, track. I remember Dr. David Anders, who I'm sure you're familiar with. Mm-hmm. He you know, converted, and I, th- I think they're like, you, you know this stuff. I mean, it was you know, interesting. Yeah, because yeah, you're, you're kind of in the same boat. You're like, you know, you, you, yeah. you've studied your way in. It goes I back mean, to that whole thing of, you know, you have that evidence before you've read, you've listened, you've studied. What conclusions do I, now do you draw? Yeah. And obviously by being there, we had drawn the conclusion that we are com- so compelled that we must become Catholic. Mm-hmm. And we did so, and it was beautiful. And my son, who got baptized on the Easter Vigil, which was great, but he also cried the entire time. And it was, it was, we don't, that only ever happened to me were being around other kids getting baptized, but that was the first time it happened to us. And, but it was, it was beautiful. And it was, uh, well, and one our godparents actually, they were, uh, 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 his name is Christopher Woodall. He was an Anglican, um, priest, uh, in the same church I worked at years back, yeah. the old church yeah. I worked at. So he was the godfather of our son and also our sponsors. So, so in the two, two minutes we, we remain, uh, how has life, really it's only been about six months. Yeah. As a Catholic, Ben, for you and Melissa, uh, yeah. is it everything you hoped and thought it would be? Yeah. Or uh, what's, uh, what's been your experience so far? It's been great. I would say that, I would say that all of the, the excitement about liturgy and about church history and all that, all that came with us when we became Anglican. Yeah. So this is more simply of, of believing and experiencing that you're being faithful in mm-hmm. in the little things step by step. So the next step that had lingered so long was you should you need to become Catholic. This is true. You and, and if and if it is true, you must join. That little step to be faithful in doing that, becoming that, that has been good. 
the next thing is, okay, what do we do now? It's like, well, take your family to church. What are the precepts of the church again? You know, mm-hmm. take your family to church, uh, receive communion, tithe, yeah. tithe yeah. Uh, uh, go to confession. And so it's like, okay, all right, so how many, so when do I do that? It's like, well, just keep doing it. Yeah. Just keep doing yeah. it. And one, so one step up, one foot one, in front of the other. Right. So we're still in the place where we, we're, we're trying to meet friends. We've got young kids. We send them to VBS. And now it's just trying to settle into the life of the church um, as being Catholic, not be too antsy about it, but be faithful about it. Mm-hmm. Right. Don't be too uh, uptight about it either. You know, and make sure that I'm doing everything right. It's like, do what I know, do what I can, and be faithful where I've been asked to be faithful in. And, uh, that has been great, and God willing, yeah. we'll continue to meet new people and and uh, and figure out these other steps in our our life. I, th- I think you should be in Catholic media. I really do. Well, I think you 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 explain yourself so well. We keep running out of time. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> this, but that was the story. Yeah, yeah, that that's uh, and I, I think that's a great way to end. Is yeah. that you know one one foot in front, of, in front of the next, and you remain faithful, and that's really all we're called to do. That's right. Follow our conscience. That's you know, right. we have to follow our conscience, and that's exactly what y'all did. And it that's hasn't right. been easy. It hasn't been a cakewalk. Uh, but thank you very much. You, uh, I, I didn't know if we'd have enough material to fill the second interview, we but we, we actually, I wish we had another 30 minutes. Uh, Marcus Bell, Melissa Bell, and their four boys, one of them's uh, in the womb. So please pray for them, pray for his you know future. And I know it's, there's going to be a bright one and uh, praise God for that. So thank, thanks for sitting down and, and talking you, to me again. God bless. Uh, thanks to Diane and thank you all for listening. This has been the KTH 910 AM interview of the week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. I am joined in studio with Brandon Devine, a very interesting conversation we're going to have about uh, vocations and also how you, as our listeners here at the Guadalupe Radio Network, can help uh, a young man uh, who uh, wants to uh, pursue a life as a priest but uh, has some student loan debt that he's trying to take care of in an organization called the Labre Society that exists for that very purpose. I do want to thank Chuck Wagle, who contacted me recently, he and his wife, Dr. So- Sophia are uh, longtime friends and supporters of the uh, the station, and he said, "Hey, can you, I got this idea for you to interview Brandon?" And I thought it was a great idea, so here we are. Uh, welcome, thanks for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, so uh, background is well, we want to hear your story, but um, the Labre Society, and I've had some familiarity with them in the past because I've done interviews like this. I think you're the first aspiring priest that I've interviewed. I've interviewed a religious sister. Um, who now has been a, a sister for many years after being assisted by the Labre Society. Their website, Labre Society, rescuevocations.org, and I'm just going to real briefly read their mission and vision. The mission is the Labre Society exists to provide financial assistance and spiritual support to individuals who must resolve education loans in order to pursue a vocation to the priesthood and or religious life in the Catholic Church. The vision, a world where Catholic priests, sisters, and brothers exist in adequate numbers to fill the world's needs, where young people everywhere who feel they are called to the priesthood or religious life have the opportunity to pursue that calling. So, all right, that's the Labrae Society. Now let's learn about Brandon Devine. Uh, first off, just little biographical information, your upbringing, uh, your family life, your parish life, that kind of thing. Yes, thank you. Well, I grew up actually in Connecticut. I'm a Connecticut Yankee, uh, although I got to Texas as quick as I could. Yeah. I was born in Syracuse, so uh, I'm right there with you. Oh, really? I uh, I actually went to Syracuse University for a year. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah, then uh, uh, made a little lateral trip to uh, to Ithaca, but uh, I'm quite familiar. Um, 
So I grew up in uh, New Haven, Connecticut. And uh, if any of you are members of the Knights of Columbus, you'll yeah. be familiar with uh, Father Michael McGivney. I actually grew up going to his parish, St. Mary's on Hill House. Um, but despite that, I didn't grow up in a terribly uh, religious family. We were uh, we probably went to mass once a month. Um, my mother was a uh, not too observant Methodist. My father was a not too observant Catholic. But I had mom and <laughs> but I had mom and dad at home, and I had a, a very traditional and I'd say um, naturally moral upbringing. Um, went to Catholic school, although I was baptized in Methodist rites. Okay, uh, so that was uh, that was actually a. a a pretty important decision my mother made. I went to a fairly good parochial school in Connecticut called St. Bridget's. And uh, we had um, excellent religious education. Uh, we had mass quite frequently. And um, kind of the way that uh, I think most people in uh, that age kind of uh, gravitate towards superheroes, you know, mm-hmm. Batman, Superman. I started to have this fascination with uh, St. Augustine, a lot of the uh, early church fathers, um who uh, fought for the uh, cause of Christ against the, you know, kind of early heresies of the church. So uh, kind of a, an unusual thing for a nine-year-old to uh, find attractive, but I did. Uh, I remained in Catholic education until college. I went to a Jesuit high school, and uh, probably the, the best benefit of that was we had a lot of required service opportunities, so the Jesuits did a very good job of inculcating a sense of um, – appreciation of the active mission of the church to others and uh yeah and in like a like a good number of people in uh in high school i sort of became a little less observant in the faith mm-hmm. um but i uh, had a reawakening in in college i did as i said a year at syracuse and then i did a year at oxford university in england and eventually finished my degree in uh economics and history at cornell university and I've been working in the oil and gas business down here ever since. I mm. came down here in 2014, and I've been uh, I've been enjoying the wonderful people that uh, Texas has to offer. Yeah, sounds like a very uh, good education, some very uh, high quality schools that you went to, and I guess this is where you you built up some uh, some debt, right? Some some student loans at these schools that you went to. Yes, yes. It's um, despite the despite the. Um, means that uh these schools have and they are they are generally more uh generous with financial aid than most universities uh you do end up having to finance uh quite a bit of it if you can't pay for it out of hand mm-hmm. so uh, it's a really a really great summary of your upbringing and you know catholic school education and 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 this uh, how when and how did the first seed of like wow i think i might have a religious vocation i might want to be a priest when, when did that start well, when I was in school, uh, elementary school, I was an altar boy for a while, and um, uh, some of the teachers thought that, uh, eh, no, Brendan really seems to enjoy that. Maybe he could be a priest one day. I thought that was cute, and I just never thought about that again for uh, about 10 years. Uh, fast forward to uh, my time at Oxford University. So Oxford, despite the fact England's a pretty secular country these days, Oxford's considered kind of like a second Rome. Uh, there's one two-mile-long street that has seven Catholic churches on it. Wow. Um, and I just happened to pick out the uh, the Oxford Oratory. Uh, oratorians follow the uh, tradition and spiritual example of St. Philip Neri, if any of your listeners are uh, familiar with him. But, yeah. Um, 
there are quite a bit of there are quite a few stories about Saint Philip that um, uh, survive to us. Uh, he was a very humble man, and he. Uh, unfortunately, decided to burn all of his writings. Uh, just <laughs> Wasn't he like the practical joker yes. or something? Funny he, guy. He was a he was a very uh, he was quite a practical joker. Uh, he was he started this uh, prayer group and had this idea that uh, you could achieve holiness through friendship um, in community through friendship rather than taking. Uh, vows, which would have been the norm back then, you know, becoming a Franciscan friar or a Dominican or a Benedictine monk. Um, and he was ordained purely to hear confessions. And some of the stories that survive to us are about confession with him. Um, for instance, the lady who gossips and he tells her to go outside and uh, put a knife through a pillow and then pick up all the feathers and uh, uh then come back and she said, well, I couldn't do that. There were too many feathers. And he said, well, that's what happens when you run your mouth on people's reputations. <laughs> yeah. You can't put it back. Um, my favorite story about St. Philip, though, is he had a, he became quite well known in Rome and a prince whose brother was a cardinal uh, paid him a visit uh, on his way to see the Pope. And he just said theatrically, oh, Philip, Teach me humility. So Philip took a rabid dog off the street and told him to hold it for a while and just walk around the town. <laughs> <laughs> Getting him humble by the moment, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah interesting. So uh, the, father, the fathers of the oratory very much uh, continue to imitate his example, and they uh, have a wonderful liturgical precedence. Um, they have a very beautiful uh, Sunday Mass. Uh, it's the New Rite Mass in Latin, and they also do the Old. And uh, they just provide excellent spiritual counsel, very accessible and down-to-earth people. And uh, they sort of took me under their wing. I got involved in the men's group there, uh, learned more about the life of St. Philip. And I started to serve Mass there again for the first time in years. And um, started, at the time, I had a girlfriend of four years, and... Uh, I had been thinking about going to graduate school and also about popping the question and uh, just wondering, is this something, uh, is this where I should go in life? Because it seemed obvious at the time. And uh, I was praying one day at uh, St. Philip's Chapel before a Wednesday evening mass. No, I should take that back. It was a Sunday evening mass, the second Sunday of Lent. And... Um, I received this uh, very direct auditory inspiration from St. Philip, uh, now become a priest. And I thought, well, okay, that was probably. Audible? Yes. Oh. Yeah, like like we're yeah. talking now. Yeah. And uh, I got up and thought, well, that's that's a pretty um, that's a pretty funny idea. But, you know, sometimes you can just get stuff in your head when you're emotionally overloaded. The moment I turned around, Father Jerem Bertram, uh, God rest his soul, pray for him, he was a wonderful man, said, uh, well, the vocations director for the diocese is here. The altar server didn't show up. Would you please do mass tonight for us? Oh, fine. So uh, he invited me out to visit uh, St. Mary's in Oscott and uh, said, well, you know, you probably won't join us for a vocation, but uh, you should seriously consider this. So I hadn't told Father Jerem about uh, this moment with uh, St. Philip, and I didn't tell the vocations director, but I just sort of kept it in pectore for a while. Uh, a couple weeks before I returned to America at the end of my year there, uh, I knew this man named Walter Hooper. Uh, also, God rest his soul. 
Uh, he was the last secretary and the literary executor of the estate of C.S. Lewis. Mm. And uh, he used to go to Mass there every day. Uh, kind man. At, uh, at the end of a Mass, he and I were walking out of the church, and he just says to me, by the way, Brendan, he, he was from Kentucky but lived in England for 50 years, so his accent was kind of <laughs> jumbled up, but he said, you know, Brendan, St. Philip Neri appeared to me after mass today, during Mass today and said, you should really consider becoming a priest. Really? Yes. Really? This is totally out, out of the blue. Totally out of the blue. Yeah. Okay. So you're so, starting to see some signs here. Yeah. So, I mean, some, some very, very clear signs. Yes. Let and, me, you know, for, uh, for the sake of time, because I'm, I'm, I want to make sure we get to elaborate and uh, some of the other details, but a fascinating story. I think that in and of itself could be a full interview. You, you've, uh, you've decided that there's a, there's a diocese in France that you want to uh, join. Uh, why France? Because it hasn't really come in, up in conversation yet. Has You were living no. in England. So, yeah, I came, I came back here and uh, moved to Texas uh, sometime later, uh, prim- primarily to work, even though I've um, been blessed to uh, have a nice life here. My mother lives in Houston. My father's passed away. My mother is going to be retiring probably out to the West Coast. So I don't really have very much in the way of roots here. Most of my family is scattered throughout the country right now. I have a friend who's a chaplain in the United States Navy, and he served in Rome for 15 years. And he said, well, you know, we're quite overextended in the United States, we think, but the average priest in France is responsible for three parishes and mass attendance out there is 1%. So mm. uh, if you're not terribly tied down anywhere, why don't you consider going out there? So I wrote to a few bishops in France and uh, Monseigneur Dominique Ray of the Diocese of Fréjus-Toulon uh, wrote back to me the very next day and called me that day. You speak French? I ben. do. Okay. Fluently, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Or the French government thinks that, but yes. No, they, they have very strict immigration standards. They make you take uh, various levels of tests to prove your various levels of fluency. Okay. It's, uh, it's, okay. it's a requirement there. So, yes, I do. Um, so, he invited me to come out, and I thought, well, this is kind of a practical thing to do. It's, you know, it's Is this really what God wants me to do, or is this just a choice I'm making? I go out to the seminary, and... Um, Walk into the rectory. Uh, I loved everybody I met there. Walk into the um, refectory, the dining room of the seminary, and there's this giant picture of Saint Philip Neri. And uh, <laughs> what do you as, know? And as I'm uh, as I'm eating, I found out the seminary rector was an Oratorian from Saint Philip's tradition, and I said, "Who is that man? He smiles like Saint Philip." He was pointing to me. So. Oh, wow. Well, so all the signs keep piling up. And so they're, they're interested in you. Obviously, France is in need of priests. Uh, um, so let's talk about the Labrae Society. At what point did you get connected with them? And other than what I've already said, tell, tell our listeners how, how they are um, helping you. So you cannot enter formation in the Catholic Church if you have outside financial obligations, and that includes student loan debt. So, you know, you can sell your house, but you can't really sell your econ degree. Yeah. So uh, there are not very many organizations, in fact, I'm only aware of this one, that resolve this kind of particular issue. So the Library Society exists, as you read earlier from their mission statement, to rescue vocations from the burden of student loan debt so people can enter formation. Now, all of us have jobs except for uh, the one person who's still a student um, so we can continue paying our student loans but maybe that means we get to be priests in 20 years but 
you know, the church everywhere needs priests now. We need sisters now. All right. So you have a, a formal kind of arrangement with the Library Society already uh, where yes. they they have, I guess for lack of a better word, an account set up for you where people can make donations uh, specifically towards your uh, debt um, reduction. Is that right? Well, it, it is, but uh, a, some, in the Library is a 501c3, so it is a tax you can deduct it from your taxes the tax uh, exempt uh, donation but that also means that the gift you give has to benefit everybody so um if you give it in mem- if you make a gift in honor of a particular person um some of it will go to uh, all the aspirants okay. it's what we call people who are participating in this program there are nine of us this time around so they had to accept you. Was there some kind of uh, application process, an interview? Because obviously they want to make sure that yes. this is a legit yes, know, they, application. They, yes, they they vet your history. They vet your, um, your student loan statements. They get very involved with uh, meeting the vocations directors for your diocese or communities to make sure they're in good standing with the church and, uh, and just just making sure all the all the ducks are in line because. Yeah, you know, we're doing this for other, with other people's generosity. Right. Do you have, and I know it probably depends a lot on how people respond, but any idea of, are they giving you any indication of how long they think it's going to take uh, to, to erase this debt and let you join the seminary? You know, it really varies depending on where a particular aspirant lives. So we we do this by building relationships with other people who are interested in helping vocations and have a passion for vocations. And if you live in a place like LA, New York, Dallas, uh, you just have more people around you. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, some, some people can hence, you know, go through this process pretty quickly. Whereas someone who lives in rural Missouri, it might take them some more time, mm-hmm. but it, it's still quicker than doing this for, you know, paying your loans yourself for, 20 years and right right maybe you're beyond an age limit by then yeah spiritual support i mentioned in their mission statement uh how are they providing you spiritual support and these other i think you say eight or nine aspirants are y'all in uh spiritual bond with each other in any way oh yes we we um we regularly share our prayer intentions when we're at adoration or uh headed to mass or something comes up but i'd say that uh the the thing that's most valuable about this program from a spiritual perspective is that it's sort of like being in formation already. You're already um, thinking and praying about what this is. Is this what God wants to do uh, with your life? Um, You know, uh, praying for other people, bringing other people into your story and introducing other people into how uh, God's grace is working in the world through you and through them. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's listening right now and they want to assist or they at least want to learn more, obviously probably that that website, rescuevocations.org is a good first start. Uh, what should they do and uh, what are the needs or any, any details that you can provide? Well, if, uh, if you were so inclined, uh, to, um, make a gift, uh, uh, in my honor, you could go to rescuevocations.org forward slash Brendan, B-R-E-N-D-A-N, uh, or you can get in touch with me directly at Brendan, B-R-E-N-D-A-N at rescuevocations.org and, uh, could provide you with, uh, more information on how to get involved. Um, obviously, uh, 
financial contributions help us. Uh, that's that is what's going to uh, eventually get us all over the edge and into formation. Um, helping us meet other people who have uh, a desire to help the church and um, have a passion for vocations. And of course, you know, we are one Catholic church, one universal church. So we will continue to pray for you and we ask you to continue to pray for us. Yes. Uh, Brandon Devine is my guest uh, talking about his desire to enter seminary in, I can't pronounce that uh, diocese, so you'll have to do that uh, in France. What's it called? Fréjus Toulon. <laughs> uh, and uh, the Labrae Society uh, provides financial assistance and spiritual support to individuals who uh, have to resolve education loans in order to pursue a vocation. Their website, rescuevocations.org, if you do forward slash Brendan, B-R-E-N-D-A-N afterwards, or Brendan at rescuevocations.org, you can get in touch with Brendan. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about what you said about the, the country of France being so secular and you said is it one percent um yes before covid about depending on the study about four to five percent of french people went to mass on a weekly basis since covid that's about been down to one percent it's unknown if that number will improve but uh you know the the church throughout europe but uh in france particularly just because i know the situation there are lots of churches and uh very few priests and very few people who populate them mm-hmm. you know you go to before the fire uh it struck me that when you went to notre dame in paris um half the seats because they don't have pews because there were no pews in the middle ages but they have chairs and half the chairs were turned around to face the organ with the back to the altar for a concert that evening which i just can't imagine doing but since the government owns all the churches over there they can do that and they're, they're still that way yes. they're facing backwards well uh, no, I think they did that just for a concert. Oh, but, okay. Uh, yeah, just the thought of doing that, just yeah. having having people just fixated with their back to the altar for an hour or two. Yeah, right. In order um, to take in a concert, right? Yes, the uh, there's there's certainly a, a kind of loss of sacrality that goes with um, you know having your mass attendance down to one percent. So the church over there needs some help, and uh, this particular bishop has uh, put together a. A pretty vibrant diocese. He welcomes seminarians from all over uh, France and throughout the world. Um, there are a few other Americans like myself. I met a priest from Mexico. I actually met a priest who uh, served another uh, another parish in the town where I grew up in Connecticut. Oh. Um, but uh, a lot of seminarians also come from uh, Brazil, Paraguay, uh, people with uh, charismatic backgrounds. It's a, it's a pretty vibrant place. Mm-hmm. France is called the eldest daughter of the church. Yes. Um, I, I, what, what is the significance of that? Of course, lot, lots of saints, fam- you know, great saints. But uh, what, what does that mean, the eldest daughter? Well, France was the first um, Western country or people um, outside of the Roman Empire to embrace Christianity with the baptism of Clovis. And uh, from then, uh, France became a vehicle for the evangelization of um, the Northern European countries, the Germanic countries, and uh, it's 
it's been considered for a long time to be, as you said, the eldest daughter of the church for, mm-hmm. for that reason. Yeah, and what what history it has from, you know, St. Therese of the Sioux and the French Revolution and, uh, you know, all these other uh, great saints. Jo- Joan of Arc, she was French, wasn't she? Uh, yes. Yeah, yes. okay. <laughs> Fought for Saint-Jean the French. Saint-Jean Yeah, yeah. So, uh, interesting. Well, uh, Brandon Devine is my guest. Uh, I want to thank uh, Chuck Wagle again for uh, introducing me to, to Brandon and, and giving us the idea for this interview. Uh, he's trying to pursue a vocation, but he is uh, uh, saddled with some uh, financial obligations and debt that uh, due to his education and his, his Thanks for listening to KATH 910 AM, Frisco, Dallas, Fort Worth, and North Texas. Catholic Radio for your soul on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Heard also at grnonline.com and on your smartphone. 